You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series called The Parables, presented by Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. A lot of you know that I spend a lot of time on Facebook, and I'm always interested in, in uh, funny posts, posts that make me laugh. There's one guy I have, uh, he's a friend of mine, his name's Scott, and Scott every morning posts something about his commute to work. And it's usually in the frame of, um, it's usually in the frame of, dear Ford Focus driver, you may think it's great to swerve in and out of lanes like that, but really it's not a good idea, you know. And he goes on like this. This one I thought was particularly funny, and you'll see why. He says this, dear church van driver, I realize you championed the tenets of Calvinism, and as such believe you were predestined to go slow. So let me spell this one out for you. First, you're driving like you're totally depraved. (laughs) Secondly, you have unconditionally elected not to make use of the gas pedal. If you push it down, you will have some limited atonement for your traffic transgression, and then you will irresistibly speed up and persevere with the rest of traffic. Isn't that good? That was awesome. That was awesome. And then the comments were just as funny. Dan says, they are going slow at their own free will. And then uh, this guy comments, James says, and Scott will give you the sign of peace. Well, at least half of it. (laughs) Now our attention to the parables again. Last week we looked at the parable of the talents with Bill. And this week we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. So if you have Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, and I'll have the text here on the screen as well. You know, as I was preparing this message, it was dawning on me, it was getting a little bit long, and there was a lot I wanted to cover, and I thought, man, if I try to cover everything, we're going to be here till Tuesday. So I thought, maybe instead what I'll do is I'll talk about part of this this week, and next week I'm speaking, I'm also speaking on the parable of the uh, treasure in the field. So I think what I'll do is I'll finish up with the prodigal son, and we'll, go a little, we'll touch into that parable as well. But here we go, here's the story. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven And against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was, he was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older, bro- the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Chapter 1, Identity. Identity. When I was growing up, I had a friend. He wasn't a close friend. He was more of an acquaintance. We went to church together. His name was Chris. Chris came from a family that adopted a number of children um, over their time. And Chris was from one particular set of family. He had his sister and his younger brother were also adopted in this family. They all had the same mom but different dads. And so he was adopted into this, into this new family. And that new family went to church with us. And Chris had some, um, I, I don't know, learning disabilities and some emotional um, immaturities about him. And he didn't really get along very well as he got older with his father. And they butted heads a lot. And so when Chris graduated from high school, he decided to go into the army. And if he has problems with authority and with his family, you can imagine how that turned out in the military. Um, He went on leave one time, and his friend said, you know, you really don't need to go back. And so Chris heeded his friend's advice and didn't go back when his leave was over. And of course, for those of you who have been in the military, know that the military does not look kindly on going AWOL. And so Chris was discharged. He, He was discharged, and he went back home, and his father said, look, here's the deal. You have a choice. If you live under my house, you live with my rules, whether you like it or not. But if you don't want to live with my rules, then you're going to have to find someplace else to live. And that's what Chris opted to do. He eventually found himself on the streets of D.C. One of those guys that you walk by who's curled up near the monuments or in the metro station or wherever, one of those guys could have been this kid I grew up with who made the choice not to live at a home, not to have the warm food, but to rather to sleep on the streets of D.C. The real surreal moment was um, we did this thing in PG County called Warm Nights. And uh, what would happen is a van would come by and they would bring uh, a group of homeless people to stay at churches. And they would go from church to church on like one, every week or every two weeks. Two weeks, excuse me. And the church would provide meals for them and they would just sleep on cots. Well, sure enough, one day or that one week that we were there, who walks into the door but Chris, my friend. The guy who had been... Uh, a part of the church, a guy who had served, and now here he was on the receiving end, sleeping on cots. It was just a very surreal moment. 
This story is about a boy who trades everything. And that's what we're going to focus on this first part. A boy who trades everything. And last week, Bill challenged us with this thought. Perception determines behavior. What I perceive is going to determine how I'm going to act. That's going to influence what I do. And for Chris, he perceived that the life outside of his father's home was better, more free, more... Uh, he had more control. Whatever this perception was, it was better than his life inside his father's home. You know, we do this when we sin, and this is the cycle of sin. This is how sin works. It begins with us asking a question, and the question is a, a, a longing. We long for something. And a lot of times it's, it's joy, it's happiness, maybe peace. We long for it. And we have an idea of how that peace looks like, or, or what that looks like for us, that joy, right? With the standing on the mountain, this is joyous. And now the only thing is, is we have to get from here to there. And oftentimes, it's one of those things where the grass is greener on the other side of the field. And it's just a matter of us trying to figure out just exactly where is that joy that we long for. And so we draw out a little map in our mind. And then we go on a journey and we cross the other way, and we go, and we go, and we go. That took forever to do, by the way. (laughs) And then when we get there, we look out and we see this beautiful city, and this beautiful city, and it, it just lures us. And for just a moment, even, sometimes for a long period of time, the sin that we love feeds the desires that we have. And so like Lot, we get closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah. We get closer and closer into the city. And, you know, this plays itself out in many different ways. Sometimes it plays itself out in our materials, in our possessions. So, for example, maybe it's, maybe it's the significant other. Or maybe it's the significant other that we're not supposed to have, right? <laughs> or maybe it's the, or maybe it's the, uh, maybe it's the substances like alcohol or drugs or something like that or pills, or anything. Maybe it's merchandise, like a nice car, or a nice house. You know, maybe it's work. Maybe we like work. Or maybe, you know, it's money. We really like money. But the bottom line is when we're done with... That also took forever. But the bottom line (laughs) is when the things we do when your family's out of town. (laughs) Um, But the... (laughs) But the bottom line is that when it's all over... uh, that thing that we crave so much for, what we realize is that view that we had of the city lights really wasn't so charming. It's really kind of a dump. And we feel depressed. We feel, we feel lonely. We feel hurt. We feel ashamed. These are all these emotions that go through our, our heart. We feel like a wreck. And we have a choice. We can either get up and walk away Or what often happens is the cycle of sin. This is why sin is bondage. is because sometimes to get over that feeling of shame, we just look at it again in the same perception that we had before and say, I'm going to dive into that and it's going to heal that wound that I have, right? The shame that I have. That's how sin works. And James tells us exactly that. In James chapter 1, 14 and 15, every person is tempted... When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, what is full grown, gives birth to death. Oh, we see this in the Garden of Eden. 
It's not long after creation. Satan tips, tips his hand and tells us exactly how he's going to act forever. And this is what he does. He, at, he tells Eve three things. Look at those things. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, God didn't say you must not eat from any tree. He said you may not eat from one tree. But you see what he's doing. He's already kind of manipulating the goodness of God, getting questions into her mind, getting her to doubt the goodness that God has for her. Then the second thing is he just blatantly lies. He misrepresents truth. You will certainly not die. And then the third thing he says to her is, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that's true, but that's not what God had in mind. He often often perverts the good things that God has for us. So that's what that luring is that James talks about there. When we're lured away, that's exactly how Satan operates. He gets us to bring those questions in. And oh, that joy that you want, that's, that's over there. And here's how you can get to it. And we are lured away by our own evil desires. And it says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, what is full grown, gives birth to death. Romans 5.8 says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So you might ask the question, well, death. Are you saying, is the story saying in the prodigal son that we can lose our salvation? And I don't think that's what it's saying at all. I don't think you can lose your salvation. Ephesians tells us that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's the point of the story of the prodigal son. See, a lot of people... um, a lot of people, you know, hear the, 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 the dramatic stories like pastors who have cheated on their wives and have gone out and left the ministry and left everything and you ask them now and they're like, I never really believed that stuff. Well, that's, that's baloney. They really did. And what they're doing is that shame that they have is so deep and it's so ingrained in them that, that they, they just can't even look at that life that they had. The thing is, is that the death that this is talking about is a real death. It is the death of identity. It is the death of identity. We see it with this man. You see, because if, we if we're going to ask the question, do we lose our salvation, we have to ask the question for everyone. Not just the guy who really walks away from his faith, but every single moment that you turn away from God, that's sin getting into your life. Sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. It doesn't matter how great or how small it separates you from God. And so you have to ask the question of the person that really walks away from God, you have to ask the question about even that momentary lapse where we've lost, where we've traded our identity. Where we've said to our Father, thanks but no thanks, give me what you owe me, and I'm out of here. The death of identity. In this story, we see a young man who's wallowing with the pigs. And for those of you that don't know, in Jewish society, the pigs are the most unclean animal. So what Jesus is saying is it got really, really bad for this guy. It sort of reminds me of this poem that I heard uh, the other day. One night in late October, when I was far from sober, returning with my load with manly pride, my poor fate began to stutter, so I lay down in the gutter, and a pig came near and lay down by my side. Then we sang, it's all fair weather when good fellows get together, till a lady passing by was heard to say, you can tell a man who boozes by the company he chooses, and the pig got up and slowly walked away. (laughs) That's how bad it gets sometimes. Two things that we learned last week. Perception determines behavior, and the opposite of love is fear. Perception determines behavior, and the opposite of love 
is fear. And look how it plays itself out. We just looked at the story of Eve and well, and Adam as well. But what happened? Remember when God saw them, or God went looking for them and said, "Where are you?" And look at Adam's response. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What sin does to us is we feel so ashamed that we feel like we can't go to God. We feel like we can't embrace Him. We feel, uh, we feel like we'll be exposed. And that's, that's what happens with sin. That's what, that's what sin ultimately destroys. It's the death of identity. It's the death of God, uh, of our identity with God, is what it is. The death of that relationship. It's that disconnect that happens that gets in the way. And look at the young man. Look what he says he's going to tell his father. He says he's going to tell his father three things. He gets to two of them. And we don't hear him say the third thing because his father interrupts. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I mean, that's true. There's a confession there. He's repenting. But look what he says next. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is the death of identity. As I've been learning um, or probably in the past year or so, is that we shouldn't say things like, I'm not worthy of God. We can say, I'm undeserving. But God is the one that makes us worthy. And that's what, say, and that's what sin does. We lose that identity. We, lose the, we, we think we're not worthy. We think we're scum. We think uh, that we just can't, we can't cut it. We, can't, we lose the fact that we're sons and daughters of God. And then look what he says. Make me like one of your hired servants. I, I, I can't be your son. You know, it's kind of like the, the guy with the parable of the talents where the guy just buried his treasure in the field. I can't do it. So it's that defeatist attitude that he has. Chapter 2, Affirmation. When I was at uh, the uh, Wild at Heart boot camp with uh, James and David, we heard from a guy named Craig. And um, Craig has a great story to tell. And it goes like this. He, he grew up, his father's last name was McConnell, but he never met his father because his father died in the Korean War when he was just a baby. And it wasn't long after that that his mom remarried, um, and she remarried a Navy captain. And this Navy captain was not very emotionally supportive of Craig. In fact, he had a, he had a phrase, a saying that he would always tell Craig. He said, Craig, you're nothing more than a seagull. All you're good for is sitting and squawking and going to the bathroom, right? And, and that was, that's what he said about Craig over and over and over again. I mean, can you imagine your father saying that about you? And, of course, these wounds are really deep, and they really hurt him. Now, Craig did some awesome things in his life. Um, he became a pastor, and he had a family, and he loved his family and did well. But those wounds just don't go away. Those are deep. Those are hurtful. And so, as Craig was older, he had his family and everything, and, and he decided he wanted to do a little research on his father. Now, his, he took on his adopted father's name, the guy who called him a seagull all the time, and his adopted father's name was Bernard, so he, his name was Craig Bernard. But he wanted to look into the McConnell side, the side he never met. And what he discovered was that his father's parents, his grandparents, whom he never met, were missionaries to Costa Rica. In fact, they were the first evangelical missionaries to Costa Rica. And about this time, Craig got on a plane, he went down to Costa Rica, and they were having this huge celebration in the stadium 
marking like the 100th year anniversary of the gospel coming to Costa Rica. And you know who they were celebrating? It was a stadium filled with people. They were celebrating the McConnells, the first, the first missionaries, Christian missionaries, evangelical missionaries to Costa Rica. And so Craig's watching this, and, he, and he's like, wow, this is, this is the side of my family I've never met, and it was just elated. Well, he got on the plane, got back on the plane to go home, and he just wept. And he wept, and he said, God, I, I wish I was a McConnell. I wish I was a McConnell. Well, Craig went on to, um, Craig went on to be a, um, he, he went back, and he, he later went to, like, one of the first Wild at Heart boot camps with John Eldridge, and and, um, and he was struggling with this identity. And one day, he says, he was in a shower, and he said the Holy Spirit showed up and said to him, and almost audibly, Craig, you are a McConnell. Craig went on to change his last name. That's how far he went. And it totally changed his identity. And sometimes that's what, that's what the Lord does. We're so ingrained in who we are and what our name means to us and th- this thing that we call ourselves that... He gives people new names, and he does it all over Scripture. Abram, you're no longer Abram of Ur of the Chaldeans. You are Abraham. Same with Sarah. Jacob, you're no longer a cheater. Your name means supplanter. You're Israel, my beloved. How about in the New Testament? Simon, you're no longer Simon the compulsive. You're Peter the rock. Or Saul, you're no longer Saul the Pharisee of Pharisees, the great persecutor of the church. You are Paul, the great theologian and evangelist to the world beyond. You know, in, in this story, what we see is we see this father who's so elated. Yeah, we see the, the son who comes back. But, you know, in a lot of societies, this is not the, called the parable of the prodigal son. It's called the parable of the running father. Because we're, we're, we see this father that runs after this son. Even when he's far off, he runs after him. It doesn't matter what's happened before. He sees the repentant heart of his son and he chases after him. That fear that his son had, that fear that kept his distance from his father. I'm afraid, what if, what if my father gets angry at me? You know, perception is everything. Those who fear that, that God is, is a God who is just waiting to strike you down with a lightning bolt when you mess up are not going to embrace God because that's fear. You're not, doing, you're not coming to him out of love and out of sonship. You're coming to him because you're afraid of him. And what God desires is this coming to him out of love. In 1 John 3, we read this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Now I like this in Ephesians 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I'm going to talk about a word here, and the word is not predestination. The word is adoption. Adoption. Joe talked about this last week when he led us in communion. Communion, it's adoption. I love that we're referred to as adopted children. I think that's just so, it's apropos, it's fitting for our relationship with God. Because in our relationship with, you know, we think of adoption. I know a lot of people who adopted. We celebrated with Sam and Heather and their baby girl, Rosie. And we celebrated and we prayed for them as they went through that whole adoption process. And we got to celebrate as they dedicated her last week. And it was beautiful. Um, But 
you know, I, I think what I've seen is that I've seen a lot of parents struggle as, as the adopted children get older. Because you don't know what genetic dispositions they have or what background they came from. All you do is you commit to loving and to raising this child despite where they may have come or what they may look like. It, it doesn't matter. And so I know parents that have wrestled with their children. I, I, you know, we have dear friends that have, they prayed for their, for their adopted son as he, he went through um, drug addictions and things like that. And he came out of it. He's a wonderful guy now. But and it, with us, we have baggage that we come to the Lord with. We have stuff deeply ingrained in us, addictions that we've had for many years, problems that we all wrestle with. And what God has committed to doing is loving us. Loving us and saying, look, you are my son. You are my daughter. This is your new identity. And what we forget, we, we think, oh, I, I'm still that person from my old life. No, you are a son or a daughter of God. That's what Paul says. Take a look at this in 1 Corinthians 6. Here's what he says to the, to the uh, church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You might say, well, what does this have to do with what you're saying? This has everything to do with what I'm saying. Are you saying, wait, I I struggle with one of these, swindling, or adultery, or idolatry. I I struggle with this. Does this mean I'm I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God? And we start to get kind of frantic about that. That's not what Paul says. What he says is all in the next verse. In verse 11 he says, And that is what you were. That's what you were. That's not what you are now. That is what you were. You're not identified by your sins. You are not who your sin says you are. You're not identified that way. You are sons and daughters of God. Why? Paul tells us. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.